This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Bill is a regular guy. Bill is just like you, um, just like me. He's a Christian. He goes to church. He's even involved in a small group. Bill has been married 14 years. His marriage is good. He's a good husband. He and his wife really seem to truly love each other. They have a couple of kids. Uh, they're lively kids, but they're good kids. One night, Bill happens to be at home alone. He's on his phone, just scrolling through news feeds, social media, and we've all had happen, like we've all had happen at the bottom of his screen, a little ad pops up. He goes to close out of that pop-up, but he doesn't hit the X quite right and accidentally and innocently opens that pop-up, which happens to take him to a pornographic website. Again, it was all unintended. He's horrified. And immediately goes to click out of that site. But before he does, his eyes take a quick glance at the images. Well, when he sees the images, his curiosity causes him to stay a bit longer than what he intended. Now, at first, the images shock him. He's never looked at anything like that before, and so his first reaction is one of just horror. But after a few more seconds of, of looking, that horror turns into intrigue, and, and it, then it's almost as if he loses control of his fingers. Because those fingers take him through a few more clicks further into the website and sees images that are even more graphic. He finally closes out of the website and, and because he feels dirty within, he asks God to forgive him and, and promises that he will never do it again. And his prayer is totally sincere. He, he, he is disgusted by his actions and never wants to do it again. But as he goes to bed that night, he can't get those images out of his mind. In fact, the next day and the next, his mind keeps going back to what he saw. So guess what? A few evenings later, while the kids are at ball practice and his wife has made a quick run to the grocery store, he goes to that website again. But, this, but his time on that website, this time is cut short as he hears the door open and his wife comes in with a load of groceries. But again, he feels horrible. And again, immediately asks God to forgive him. And Bill, again, promises that he will never do that. But Bill does it again. In fact, he does it again and again and again. And before Bill realizes it, over the next few weeks, he finds himself in a situation that he's never found himself before he, he finds himself caught in the grip of lust and in the grip of pornography. Well, after a few months of doing this, Bill's guilt is not quite as strong or, or as pronounced as it once was. And, and now he justifies his behavior by saying things like, well, at least I'm not committing real adultery. 
Or, or what I'm doing is really not hurting anybody. I'm still being faithful to my wife. I'm still being a good husband. Better to do what I'm doing than to have an actual affair with someone. But Bill doesn't realize that his lust is beginning to affect the way he thinks. Now every time he's out in public and, and sees a woman wearing a tight shirt or a short skirt or a low neckline, it's almost like a launch sequence is initiated in his mind. Not to mention that his wife and kids have noticed that he's becoming more short with them and, and doesn't seem to be as connected with them as before. Now, we're going to end our story right there. And I want to ask, is Bill a real person? Well, in, in, in one sense, no. This is just a fictitious story that I totally made up. Bill, Bill isn't a real person. He doesn't live here. He doesn't go to church here. In fact, he doesn't live anywhere. Bill, Bill and the situation I just described are not real. But yet, in another sense, yes, Bill is a real person. And Bill does live here. And Bill does go to church here. But Bill also lives in other places as well. And he, and he goes to different churches in all denominations all around the world. Bill's story is lived out every day in the lives of thousands and thousands of men and even women who fall prey to the power of lust. And sadly, many, many, many times, the story doesn't end where we ended our story. Rather, the uncontrolled lust fosters a pattern of behavior that eventually goes from just looking to disconnecting with friends and family to acting out to a sequence that causes dreams and, and careers and families to come crashing down. So trust me, this story of Bill or to reflect the growing problem of pornography and lust among women we could even change the name to Barb or Jane or Samantha, but trust me, the story that I just told is very, very real. And I think that's why the Bible has such a stern warning in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where it says in a very, very short statement, run away from sexual sin. And I did a word study this past week on, on that Greek word run, and some translations also say flee. But the Greek word is, is fugo. I kind of like that word. Fugo. Say that word with me. Fugo. One, two, three. Fugo. Now say it with an attitude. Fugo. And fugo means run or flee. But it also means, I, I, I caught this very interesting as I was studying this Greek word. It means to escape by flight. In other words, Fly away from it. Fly away from sexual sin. Now, during the summer months, <clears throat> we've been sprinkling in a series called The Deadly Seven. And uh, <clears throat> we've talked about pride, envy, and then your very favorite topic, the topic of gluttony. And some of you are still referring to that sermon. You don't identify, you'd say that sermon. Uh, we've also talked about anger and greed, and then another one of, that you really loved was the one on sloth, and today we're going to wrap up this series and talk about the deadly sin of lust. 
Let's just bow our heads again. Oh, God, I, I realize I'm just, I feel so vulnerable and I, and I feel so inadequate um, to be able to speak on this topic and I always need you, but today I need you more. And so I, I pray that you would enable us. God, don't let there be major distractions Lord, help me to stay focused on what you want me to say, and let your word especially just be powerful to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the definition of lust is this. It's a strong desire for something or someone, and is often used specifically regarding sexual desires. But that definition continues on to say that lust is focused on pleasing oneself, often without regard of detrimental consequences. Now, as we jump into this final study in in the series, I want to establish the fact that we've all been tempted in the area of lust. All. All. And so I don't come at this study from the perspective of you. I, I come at this from the perspective of we. I'm a pastor, but I'm also a man. In fact, before I became a pastor, I was a man. And, and, and lust is no respecter of persons. It, it goes after and attacks young people. It attacks older people. It attacks single people. It attacks happily married people. It attacks pastors and missionaries, church board members, teachers. Lust is no respecter of persons. And you will never fully grow out of it. You may reach stages in your life where where certain aspects of lust may lessen a bit. But it seems that when a particular area of lust may lessen, Satan comes at us from another angle. So today's lesson, just so you know, is an all-skate. It's an all-skate. No one, even if we live to be 150 years old, and have maybe lost some of our youthful lust, no one is ever out of the woods until we are cloaked in our glorified bodies. Especially considering how we are continually bombarded right and left with billboards and and magazines and commercials and regular primetime programming on television, the internet, or even bombarded as we get out in public where we typically find people dressed in ways that leave little to the imagination. Our world today is saturated with triggers that if we're not careful, will lead the mind where it should not go. And this is the way that lust begins. Lust always begins in the mind. Lust doesn't begin in the bedroom. It begins in the mind. And that's the reason that, that we as Christians must do everything to protect our minds. Because Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, above all else, so above all else, this is a priority over everything else, guard your heart. And another way to translate this is guard your mind, for it affects everything you do. Now, I know there are many people who justify their actions and say, well, as long as it stays in your mind, or as long as you're just looking, it's not that big of a deal, and how many of you, how many of us have made a joke as we looked at someone and said, well, it's not wrong if we only look at the menu. But for those who might try to justify lustful thinking and lustful looking, look at this scripture in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 14. They commit adultery with their eyes. Seriously? 
adultery with their eyes? But, but then have you noticed that looking never completely satisfies? In other words, just looking at pictures or just looking at flesh never completely satisfies. Listen to how this verse finishes up. It says they commit adultery with their eyes and their lust is never satisfied. You're never satisfied by just looking. That's what God says. This week I found some statistics that make it clear we're in the middle of a plague of lust. And I know we can get lost in numbers and numbers can be twisted to say anything and statistics can be boring. And, but, but listen to just a few very disturbing statistics. One particular website said that there are, 300, there are over 372 million pornographic websites. 372 million. That's 12% of all existing websites. 25% of all search engine requests are for pornographic materials. Every second, over 28,000 internet users are viewing pornography. Every second, $3,000 is spent on pornography. Every 39 minutes, a new pornographic video is being produced in the U.S. alone. Every day, 2.5. This is one that just shocked me. Every day, 2.5 billion Emails are either sent or received containing pornographic material. Every day, 2.5 billion emails are sent or received. 35% of the downloads on the internet are porn-related. Again, those are just stats. Sometimes we can blank them out, say, I don't know, numbers, whatever. But those aren't the scariest statistics. The scariest part of all of this is what I would refer to as the human casualties. Casualties that result in broken homes, disconnected families, heartache, guilt-ridden, and unfulfilled lives. And add to that, a recent study shows that pornography can lead to anxiety disorders and even substance abuse. Many people that are addicted to alcohol or illegal or even prescription drugs have a deep-seated problem with lust. And pornography. And let me make a statement that that is probably the most important statement I'll make today. If you tune me out, just listen here. The battle with lust is a battle that we will all have to fight. But it's a battle that we don't all have to lose. Can I say that again? Because if you tune me out, I want you to hear this. The battle with lust is a battle that we will all have to fight. Remember, this is an all skate. But it's a battle that we don't all have to lose. God has given us the necessary provisions to where we can flee, we can escape by flight lustful temptations. So today, with God's help, let's learn how we can defeat lust in our lives. There are five, and, and I call these embarrassingly basically ba- basic steps. Five steps that are so simple. Number one, First, we've got to admit when we're tempted. And this is where church people get stuck. Because most of us as church people can't really bring ourselves to admit that we struggle with lust. Because, you know, we always quote that verse that says we can be more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. And, and, and we, we can be victorious through the blood of the Lamb. And so to admit that we're struggling with lust when we're quoting those verses causes us to feel like something is wrong. That maybe we're extra weak. But the first step in being able to defeat any problem in our lives, whether it's alcohol or fear, as as Pastor Patrick talked about last week, or lust, is to admit that we're struggling with that temptation. D.K. Chesterton 
is, is an author. Some of you might have read his books. And in his book, he has a fictitious detective named Detective Brown. Detective Brown solves his cases in his novels by trying to put himself inside the mind of the killer in order to determine the next step of the killer. But, but here's what I want to point out. Detective Brown said this, you may think a crime was horrible because you could never commit it. But he said, I think it's horrible because I could commit it. And so when I hear of a Christian that has fallen into sin, that's the way I feel. I don't feel that it's horrible because I think I'm too holy and righteous, too good to ever commit that sin. Rather, I feel it's horrible because I know that without the grace of Jesus, I'm fully capable of falling into any. And I, I emphasize that word, any. I'm capable of falling into any sin, lying, stealing, murder, and yes, even lust and adultery. That is, unless I keep my heart in tune with God. You see, we're all potential adulterers. I believe that two of the biggest liars in the world are, number one, the person who says, I've never been tempted with lust. And then perhaps the second biggest liar in the world is someone who says, I'm no longer tempted with lust. And again, at certain stages in life, sexual temptation may not be as strong as it once was, but, but be careful, and I urge all of us, we must be careful about saying that we're no longer tempted. My, uh, my great-grandpa lived to be 102 years old. Uh, I, I barely remember him. Uh, I was really young, but we went to see him a few times in the nursing home. He was quite the colorful character, and he wasn't known as a godly man. I, I hope he, uh, I hope he made, it, made peace with God, made it to heaven. But he was in a nursing home the last few years of his life. And, and when he was in his upper 90s, and actually bumping 100, my grandfather went to see him one time and noticed that my great-great-grandpa had a bandage on his hand. And he said, what happened to you? And, and he said, well, I got in a fight. I thought, dude, you're nearly 100 years old. And you got into a fight? And, um, and, and I guess what had happened, he had had it out with a nurse one day and tried to punch her out. Um, but, but what I want to point out is that also in his upper 90s, again, bumping 100, he tried to make some moves on some of the ladies in the nursing home. And he actually had a girlfriend that they had to separate on occasion. They were trying to get a little bit too cozy. So, so young people... If you think that old age will take away the temptation of lust, it, it may lessen certain aspects of that temptation, but more than likely, more than likely, unless you're just a complete dud, um, more than likely, you will always struggle with some degree of lust. And, and you don't need to pretend that you're no longer tempted, because if you deny that you're tempted, more than likely, you will not be prepared when a situation comes your way, even as innocent of a situation as it was in our opening story with Bill. So we just need to be willing to admit, at least to ourselves and maybe to a confidant, and of course admit to God, the areas of temptation in our lives. Number two, recognize, and some of you might want to write this down, recognize that we're in a spiritual battle. Now, lust obviously has a very strong physical component. God created us with a natural physical desire and even the need for sexual intimacy. And in the right context, it's a beautiful God-ordained experience. I thought some of you would say amen on that, but that's okay. You're, you're too embarrassed. 
But what complicates this is that along with the physical desire is that Satan has launched an all-out battle to take a beautiful and a God-sanctioned experience and twist it and warp it and cheapen it by experiencing it in a context that's not holy, that's not godly, nor even fulfilling. And so there's a war within us. There's a horrible war within us. And, and Paul writes in Romans chapter 7, it says, it seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. And, and this can happen, listen, as Paul says, while we are, in, in verse 22, loving God's law with all my heart. So we can be committed to God. We can love God's law. We can love God and still have struggles. So, there's still the fleshly component at work. Verse 23, there's another law at work within me that is at war with my soul. So, have, have you ever wondered, why is it? You know, I'm, I, I'm reading the Word. I'm praying. I'm going to church. I, I, I love God. But, man, do I ever struggle? That's that law at work within our members. Uh, so there's the natural God-given desire. There's also the spiritual attack from Satan that tries to make this experience unholy and take it outside of the boundaries that God has established for safe sex and fulfilling sex. And, and so when we're tempted to cross the line sexually, we must remember that there are two components. There's a physical battle, but there's also the spiritual battle for our heart and our soul. Let's go to number three. We must understand that temptation, and I hope that you'll really listen to this, temptation is much easier to avoid than it is to resist. Now, hear me out. I'm going to explain this in a very hillbilly way. You know that I like chocolate. Anybody know that? I like chocolate. But what you may not know is that I love milk chocolate with nuts in it. So when you give me a box of chocolates, I can resist the dark chocolate. That's the chocolate that I share with others. I can also resist the chocolate with the cherry stuff in the middle. I mean, that's the chocolate that I share with my wife. She likes that kind of stuff. And yeah, I'm sorry, but I consider chocolate that has filling in it sissy chocolate. Real men don't eat chocolate with sissy filling in the middle. I said it, didn't I? But, but call me selfish, call me any name you would like, but I normally don't share with other people my milk chocolate that has nuts in it. I'm very protective of it. Selfish? Okay. But, but here's what I want to say. When you give me a box of cho chocolates, and incidentally, whenever you do that, that puts you in my favorite church member category. I pray God will heap blessing after blessing upon those of you that do that. But, but when you give me a box of chocolates, here's what I found. As long as I never open the box of chocolates, as long as I keep the clear plastic on the box, I can keep a box of chocolates on my desk for months and look at it every day and not be tempted. Honest truth. But the moment I take off that clear wrapper, my willpower is gone. And I will catch myself uh, throughout the day lifting the lid off and first of all going for the nutty ones and then being generous and Mr. Wonderful and sharing the other jelly-filled ones, filled ones and, you know, the dark chocolate with the rest of the staff. Um, but once that wrapper's off, I can't resist. 
about a year ago, someone from the church, and I don't know, it was anonymous, so I never knew who to pray God's blessings upon, but they gave me one of these Hershey bars, literally, it was like this. I don't know, it was 10 pounds or 50 pounds, I don't know, it was, it was big. <laughs> and uh, I resisted that for months. I, I did. And, and I just marveled at the size of it. It was beautiful, but I never opened it. <clears throat> and it wasn't much of a temptation because it was, you know, the wrapper was on it. But then my ornery grandkids and the staff kids, such as the ornery Watkins kids and the super ornery Pirtle kids, they kept harassing me um, about opening that chocolate bar. And one week moment after preaching two services on Sunday, I succumbed to the continual harassment of those kids, and I let them open it. By the way, I couldn't believe the massive amounts of chocolate that those kids consumed in a short amount of time. And I'm sure the parents couldn't figure out why they bounced off of walls for a solid week. But, but here's what I found. Once the wrapper was off that gigantic Hershey bar, my willpower lessened dramatically. And, and what those kids didn't consume, we put in a Ziploc bag, and I could no longer just resist and just look at it throughout the day. You know, I, I would actually go to it, grab a piece. I'd break off a little corner. It was a small piece, but whenever you do that a whole bunch of times throughout the day, it adds up to a big piece. So, so what I'm saying is that, you know, if I'm wanting to cut back on my consumption of chocolate, it's much easier for me to just not unwrap the box than it is to unwrap it and try to resist it and say no. Now, you know where I'm going. With sexual temptation, it's the same way. It's much easier to not put yourself in a situation of temptation than it is to put yourself in that situation and think that you're strong enough to resist. Temptation is easier to avoid than to resist. And if you think you're Mr. Strong Guy or Mrs. Strong Gal, and you think that you can handle any temptation, any time, look what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. It says, if you think you're standing strong, I, I, I think he, maybe he included a buddy that just didn't get me. Buddy, if you think you're standing strong, <laughs> be careful. For you too may fall into the same sin. And I'll just be honest with you. I texted some people and I, and I said, I, I need prayer for not only today, but I said, whenever I give a lesson like this, I, I sub subject myself to a place of vulnerability where the temptation is extra strong. So if you think you're strong, buddy, be careful. For you too may fall into the same sin. I'm sure that David of Israel felt he was strong. Uh, David was king. David was a man after God's own heart. But, but he became involved in perhaps the most famous case of lust and adultery in the history of the world. And, and it took place not when he was a teenage shepherd boy. Now that's what's interesting. You would have thought, you know, here's this guy, teenage shepherd boy, out in the fields where nobody would have seen anything at the time of his life, when you think, would have thought that the temptation, you know, the raging hormones, it, it didn't happen when he was a teenage boy. It happened when 
he was king of Israel. And I didn't take time to look at the timelines here. I, 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 I was curious, and so I Googled it. So I, this, this may or may not be correct, but um, one source actually estimated that David, when this happened, could have been in his 50s, at least in his 40s. But anyway, one day when the Bible says he should have been out fighting a war with his army, instead was at home, he went to the roof of his house, which sat high above the city, looked down, saw a beautiful woman bathing. Now, the Bible doesn't give the sequence of events, and so I'm kind of reading between the lines. This may not be correct, but maybe the first time he saw her, nothing happened, and, and, and maybe he resisted, and, but, but afterwards, David couldn't stop thinking about her, and so he no doubt remembered the time of day that she was bathing, and so he went up there again, and regardless of the sequence of events, the bottom line was that he invited her over to his palace and committed adultery with this married woman named Bathsheba. And, and my point is it didn't just happen. Things like this don't just happen. They're a result of putting ourselves in, in wrong situations. David wasn't supposed to be there. He was supposed to be on the battlefield. And what's that old saying, the idle hands of the devil's workshop or something like that? And and with that idle time on his hands, the devil worked on David. He put himself in a position where he shouldn't have been. And so we need to be intentional about avoiding situations where we might end up in uh, compromising our morals. We, now, we won't always be able to avoid every situation. You, you can't live in a bubble. I mean, even if you were to go to a monastery or a convent, you could still access stuff on your phone. But we need to be intentional as much as possible, avoid situations where we might not be able to stand strong. And I debated whether or not to say this, but I'm going to go ahead and just get it out there. This may shock you a little bit, but a good way to abstain from immorality is to abstain from you're curious what I'm going to say, <laughs> is to abstain from drinking alcohol. You say, whoa, that was off the wall. How many times have we heard about people that had a few drinks and ended up committing a crime or committing immorality and they would have never done it while sober, but alcohol clouded their minds and their morals and did things that they regretted later? And obviously, not everybody who drinks sleeps around, but there are many babies that have been conceived because people under the influence of alcohol lost their morals and lost their ability to reason. So, be smart about the situations you put yourself into. Number four sounds so simplistic, maybe impractical, but it's so powerful. Focus on God, not the temptation. You see, if all you ever do is try to run from temptation, you know, that's good. You, you'll have a little bit of willpower for a few days, maybe a few weeks, but that temptation will eventually catch up with you. You'll get tired of running. You can be strong for a while, but you'll get weak eventually and succumb. So it's not enough to flee from sexual lust, but, but you must nurture and feed your relationship with God. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, it says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. So the first step is to take flight. Fly away from anything that stimulates lust and instead follow anything that makes you want to do right. Pursue faith and love and peace. So, so, so pursue and, and feed your relationship with Jesus. And, and then, you know what, the next part, I've never noticed it. 
I'll soon be 63 years old. I've read this dozens and dozens of times, and I've heard it dozens and dozens of times. And, and, and I've never caught this until this past week. But listen to this powerful advice. So follow anything that makes you want to do what is right. Pursue faith and love and peace. And enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord. What does that mean? What does that mean to call on the Lord? Well, that, that's the way the Bible frequently refers to prayer. So this is saying that if we struggle with lust, we need to hang out with people to pray. I thought, wow. How come, I'd never, never seen that. We need to hang with prayer warriors. Hang with those who call on the Lord. But, but it doesn't stop with that. And I'd never noticed this either. It goes on to say that we should also hang with people with pure hearts. So if you're struggling with lust, who should you hang with? And this is silly, but when I read it this past week, I thought I'm going to refer to this as two peas in a pod, praying people and pure people. Praying people, pure people. If you struggle with lust, the, the, the two peas in a pod we should seek out are praying people, prayer warriors, and people with pure hearts. Man, that scripture is so powerful. You see, when you become a Christian... The Bible says that you become a new person on the inside, but that new person is immature, has a lot of growing to do. It needs some mentoring, some nurturing, and that comes from hanging with people who pray and hanging with people who have pure hearts. And again, we need to be intentional about this because I've learned from experience that that old sinful nature will try to keep control of our life. And and, and if we feed our inner nature, if we feed our inner person with lust, guess what? Our old self is going to win every time, no matter how many prayers we say. Catch that. We can say our prayers. We can pray morning and night. But if we're feeding our inner nature with lustful things, our eyes and our mind, the fleshly nature will win even if we pray. But if we feed the new nature with godly things, and pursue holiness, and hang with praying people and pure people, then we will find ourselves winning the battle over lust. So run, take flight, fly away from anything that stimulates lust, and instead pursue a life of holiness. Now, before I give you this last fill-in, let me warn you that I'm, get, I'm about ready to give you such a deep theological truth. I hope you're able to wrap your mind around this. I, I know it's going to go over the top of most of you, but Number five, choose to stop. You know, we have the choice of continuing in our sin or stopping it. We love to say, well, Satan made me do this. No, Satan never made you do anything in your life. Now, he's tempted you, he's harassed you, he's pressured you, he's pulled you, he's squeezed you. But when you and I sin, it's because we make the choice to sin. You know, we've got to get rid of it. I'm sorry, but we've got to get rid of this victim mentality where we say, well, my spouse pushed me into this, or this is just the way that I am and I can't help it, or everyone else is doing this and I am this way because of my dad and my mom. You know, there may be some contributing factors there, but God has given us the power to choose right or wrong. He's given us everything necessary to do what is right. One of the most powerful verses in the Bible is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, um, 
His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So God has given us everything we need to live a life of godliness. So we need to ditch the excuses of, well, I just can't do it. We can do it. God has given us everything we need for a life of holiness. Verse 4, through these he has given us, I love this, his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And, and so God has given us everything necessary to escape the corruption of the world. Is it easy? No. And we've probably fallen in some ways. But by God's grace, we can be victorious. This verse says that God has given us very great and precious promises that help us to participate in his divine nature so that we can escape the corruption of the world. We can do it. We can do it. We can do it. But having said that, God will not force us to do what is right. We can choose to sin. He won't stop us. He'll make it miserable on us, but he won't stop us. And this next verse is pretty sobering for those of us that might choose to keep on following our lustful desires. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. He is especially hard. That right there scares me. What's, what's coming after that? He is especially hard on those who follow their own evil, lustful desires. He's especially hard. Man. And who despise authority. These people are proud and arrogant, daring even to scoff at the glorious ones without so much as trembling so so god's going to be really hard on those of us who continually follow our own evil and lustful desires but as we uh begin our um our, our descent to try to land this plane thankfully i've got some good news some amazing news i love it um First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. But remember that the temptations that come into your life are no different from what others experience. So, so my temptation is basically your temptation. Your temptation is basically my temptation. And we all like to say, well, you don't understand. You know, you really can't relate to the temptations that I have. You know, our pastor. Well, according to God's word, we probably can relate to it. We, we, we sometimes think of certain people, well, you know, they're so good and so holy and so righteous to where they can't identify with me and that's not what the Bible says. We all go through the same basic temptations. And goes on and says, and God is faithful. Aren't you glad for that statement? God is faithful. He will keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it. And this is incredible news. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so you do not have to give in to it. Oh, man, that's amazing news. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so you will not give in to it. So that verse takes away our excuses. Needing a particular sin or why we can't quit this sin, God promises to help us so that we don't have to give in to it. Let me wrap this up by going to a scripture in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. And, and God has just used Moses to deliver the Israelites from hundreds of years in slavery in Egypt. He's taken them into the wilderness. They're standing at the very edge of the promised land looking in. And, um, and God says, I want to make a covenant with you. Here's what he says in Deuteronomy 30, 19. Today, I've given you the choice between life and death. 
between blessings and curses. So God says, I'm giving you a choice. Do you want blessings that come from choosing spiritual life or do you want curses from choosing not to follow God? He says, I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. And, and after he presenting the options of saying, okay, you got the option of blessings, you got the option of curses, it's almost as if God begs them with this last statement. He says, oh, that you would choose life, that you and your descendants might live. And so, to all of us today, can I just say, let's follow Jesus and pursue holiness. Let's choose to keep our eyes and our minds on Jesus. Let's choose to honor God with our body. And I know I've given a lot of scripture, but I wanted to because scripture is our hope right now. Our, our hope on encouragement. But Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will accept. When you think of what he's done for you, is, is this too much to ask? Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. And What are the customs of this world? Fill in the blank. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect his will really is. This past Thursday, I got to the office super early. Many times I do, but this was super early. I was praying and I was studying and meditating and confessing, <laughs> asking God how I could make this lesson practical for all of us. And I, I felt as if God brought to me a phrase, simple phrase, but the phrase of week of victory, a week of victory. I know it's not catchy, but I felt like he wanted me to pray for all of us that this next week might be a week of victory. You know, for those of you that are struggling with lust, struggling with pornography, relationships, oh, I began praying that God would help us all to experience a week of victory. You say, well, Pastor, why, why didn't you pray that we would all have a life of victory instead of just a week of victory? Th there will be a time for that. But as I was just praying and trying to seek God, it, I felt like for some people here, that might seem like too big of a goal. So I felt impressed that we needed to approach this one week at a time. In your bulletin, you have a little bookmark that says, week of victory. Would you get that out right now, please? Here's what I would like for us to do is to hold on to this with our dear lives, with our lives, just put this in a prominent place. And I, I, I want to encourage you to make this week a week of victory, a week of overcoming. Again, we're concerned about the lifetime, but right now we need to get through this week. And then as God gives you the grace to be able to escape the corruption of the world, as Peter talks about, then we'll go to the next week. So I would like you to put this in a very prominent place, and I'm going to be praying for you this week, and I hope you'll be praying for me. Let's just pray for each other that God would... Give us the victory over lust. And as I was thinking about this, you know, God's doing an amazing thing for this church. And 
We're seeing so many new people come in. We've had baptisms. But I believe that this could be the one element that might, if, if we could just get a handle on the lust of church people, I believe that there could be revival that would break out, that would sweep this community and sweep this state, sweep this nation. So can, can I just say it kindly? It is a big deal. It, it's, it's not a little insignificant thing. And if you... Uh, and if you struggle with lust, why don't you hang out with some praying people and some pure-hearted people? Two peas in a pod. And together, be in the family of God. We can do this. And, and, and if you need an accountability partner, find somebody that you confide, that you can trust with your life. Don't just tell anybody. But find somebody that you trust. And just say, would you hold me accountable? You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.